This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High-quality information. Because high-quality information informs much better decision-making. Dittman Research has been providing high-quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, back here with uh, Robin Brenna from Brenna Bell and Walker Law Firm. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you, Jeff. How are you? Pretty good. Second podcast. We did one uh, a couple of years. Was it, when was it before the last uh, oil tax deal you were working on? The, yep, before ballot measure one. Right. We, so that was we had a conversation about Alaska giving away its oil. And I feel like that was maybe pre-COVID because I don't know if we were doing the masks. It was pre-COVID. That was a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're here to talk now about another big uh, decision you're involved in regarding uh, campaign contribution limits in Alaska, which the Ninth Circuit made a ruling last week, which is pretty much shock to the um, political world in Alaska, because what it seems to mean um, is there's no more, for now, there's no more limits in how much people can donate to candidates. While for a long time after Citizens United, there's been no limits on the PACs and the independent expenditures, but now there's a new ruling. So I want to talk a little bit about that and kind of the history of this case. And it's been a long time. It's been several years going on, right? Yeah, it's been seven years. Some of these things, it's amazing how long they take to go through the system. You know, I, I learned that the getting an injunction is kind of the easy one. Those ones go kind of quick, right? <laughs> most most of the cases that I'm involved in, Jeff, have about a 10-year cycle. Wow. Yeah. So, so like, remember, I remember um, Sturgeon, you know, the, the water access that the Supreme Court that took like 10, 10 years long time so talk a little bit about your case this case and then there's four different things but the big one I think is the is the campaign limits that have been in place in Alaska since 2006 well uh, happy to and and uh, always a pleasure to be here Jeff uh, the case is uh, Thompson versus uh, Hebden uh, and it was uh, issued as Jeff mentioned uh, on July 30th of this year in 2021. And by majority decision, a three-person panel of the Ninth Circuit struck down as unconstitutional our $500 individual-to-candidate limit in Alaska, our 500 individual-to-group limit in Alaska, reaffirmed that it was striking down the $3,000 total contribution limit for out-of-state residents, but upheld our existing law that, uh, that a party's contribution to an individual candidate, uh, a party couldn't uh, bifurcate itself into sub, subunits. So, so the, the aggregate out-of-state limits, was that was ruled on before, right? That's been kind of in place since the last election, the out-of-state limits of how much total you can get from money from out-of-state people, right? Yeah, the Ninth Circuit, um, the process that this case has gone through, it started with the federal district court, and there was a trial in Alaska. And then it was appealed to the Ninth Circuit, and then it went to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court, in a per curiam decision, issued guidance back to the Ninth Circuit to revisit their analysis in light of uh, certain cases that were uh, federal cases. And this is the Ninth Circuit uh, doing uh, what the uh, U.S. Supreme Court instructed. Why, why does the high court sometimes 
not make a decision, but rather kick it back to the circuit court? Well, the, uh, the high court uh, doesn't try to do the circuit court's job. Uh, <clears throat> what it does is, uh, if it, what it did in this case, is it took a look at what the Ninth Circuit did, and the Ninth Circuit applied uh, Ninth Circuit precedent and disregarded current federal precedent. Mm-hmm. And so we appealed it up because we thought that the current federal precedent, uh, the, the, the Supreme Court's precedent was already clear on these issues. And so they just asked, they, they, they asked the Ninth Circuit, they always give the circuit uh, an opportunity to take a shot at their own decisions based on their instructions. And that's what they did here. They said, go take a look at the Randall case and some other cases and Citizens United and come back and revisit this authority. My lawyer buddy always tells me the judges hate when their decisions get reversed. <laughs> well, um, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. So um, real quick, so so Hebden is Heather Hebden, the direct, executive director of Alaska Public Offices Commission, right? Yes. Who's Thompson? Uh, Thompson, uh, David Thompson was his name. And uh, he was uh, a decorated war veteran. <clears throat> he was from out of state. He was a Navy SEAL. He was a brother-in-law to Wes Keller. Uh, from representative <clears throat> from the Valley. Yes. And he tried to give his brother-in-law $100. And his brother-in-law, uh, uh, Wes Keller, had to send the money back because he had already received $3,000 from out-of-state sources from other people. So this all started with $100? Uh, Donation? Well, well, Jim Crawford and and Aaron uh, Downing, who has passed, uh, tried to contribute more than $500 to a campaign, Mm -hmm. and they were not able to. But, uh, yeah, with regard to the out-of-state limit, absolutely. We had a a veteran, a war hero, uh, and uh, couldn't give $100 to his brother-in-law. So the limits now were a result of, I believe, is it a ballot initiative in 2006? Well, let me just go through the history real quick. Okay. 74, for example, the individual to candidate limit was $1,000. In Alaska? Yes. Which is, with inflation, that's thousands of dollars today, right? Yeah, that's a bunch of money. Yeah, you bet. Uh, $1,974 is pretty good today. Yes, absolutely. Inflation about doubles the principal every 10 years. So, but anyway, or, well, 10% does anyway. Uh, So, yeah, 1974 is $1,000. And then in uh, 1996, the legislature took it from 1000 down to 500 And then in 2003, the legislature took it, uh, took it back up. And then there was a 2006 back ballot. Back to 1000 Yes, back okay. to 1000 And then there was a ballot initiative as a result of that legislative action, taking it back down to 500 now This was so kind of, that initiative was, that was pre-VK. Was that kind of during Vico scandal, or was that a result of some of that? Or 2006, that stuff well, really hadn't really kind of, kind of gone gone off yet, had it? Well, the the Vico uh, scandal uh, largely shaped uh, thinking towards political c- uh, contribution and money in politics. Even though I always say, you know, it's crazy, like decade. those guys in the FBI. They were they took so little money. Yeah, it's like it's like such a it's it's almost very telling how much you know <laughs> a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks well the the, the uh, ninth circuit had an interesting observation about vico because vico was one of the things this state used to explain that alaska <clears throat> has the uh, risk of being more corrupt than other states and they used the vico uh, vico uh, scandal as an example of that but of course vico had nothing to do with campaign limits mm-hmm. it had to do with outright 
bribery. Yeah. Right. So it really doesn't. I mean, it, it's an it's a, it's a terrible situation that developed. It it framed the attitude towards these kinds of contributions. But in fact, if uh, someone's going to take a bribe, <coughs> uh, a quid pro quo bribe from you, that has nothing to do with whatever the campaign limits are. Right. Right. And then we have obviously the Citizens United, which really changed the shape of a lot of this discussion well, because to me that entirely changed the dynamic of the conversation that we're in citizens united allows an unlimited amount of funds um, of money into politics and the mechanism of it is through these independent expenditure groups a lot of times there's dark money flowing into these you don't know where the money's from or how it gets there uh, and the only real requirement is is that they don't directly coordinate with the candidate in his campaign and so from my point of view, <clears throat> I mean, Alaska's been, you know, tied down to, oh, I don't know, a fraction of what, uh, what our limits were in 1974 uh, for quite a while now. And in the meanwhile, Citizens United has come and completely rewritten it. I mean, I've been involved in, maybe recall in 2018, I actually ran an independent expenditure group for jo Josh Revac, and this, and this kind of was a result of Mel Gillis, who later became a rep for that seat when Josh went to the Senate. But he had had a problem with the former rep, Sharice Millett, and she didn't help him on some issues in the past. And he was like Josh, and he wanted to contribute. So we got connected through a friend, and basically he just wrote a $30,000 check. Yeah. And we ran a campaign. And I was so worried about any kind of appearance of, of even, you know, I never talked to, to Josh about it, but I was in an event one time, and he was there, and I saw him, and I just left because I was so nervous. You know, I didn't want to even be seen in the same room. But I always wonder really how much that people follow that. I mean, I don't think everybody follows that, you know, I, well, I really doubt everybody is just being on above board on, on, especially when it's hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Well, there's an entirely fair conversation that you can have about it, whether or not there's too much money in politics. And I want to, and I want to talk about that. And so that's a legitimate uh, conversation to have, but uh, it's, uh, it's very hard to say that there can be an unlimited amount of, uh, funding and money flow into politics through these independent expenditure groups. But in the meanwhile, the candidate in his campaign is essentially starved, starved out from having a voice because they can't, they can't raise enough money. As the court pointed out, the effect of these very low limits that we have in Alaska is, is that challengers have a very difficult time uh, mounting uh, races. But in terms of the balance of things, Citizens United gave the largest megaphone driven by money possible to independent expenditure yeah. groups. And on the other hand, the candidate's voice can hardly be heard. So and, and, from and my point of view, there needs to be some sort of balance well, I would, between I would, these two things. I, I, would, I think we could talk about in a minute the you know, money and politics in general. But I would argue that if, I, if you were running, if, you know, if Robin Brennan was running for Senate— um, and then Robin Brenna had a pack that was supporting him. And I gave, not that I have this kind of money, but if I gave a hundred thousand dollars to your pack, I almost think there's more accountability if I gave a hundred thousand dollars to you directly, because, because then you can talk, you, you know, you can, you're allowed to talk and you can actually have a response to it. Whereas in the other situation, you can say, well, I have nothing to do with that. I don't talk to them. I can't uh, control that. That's, that's, you know, beyond me where if it's going to you, then at least there's maybe a little more accountability, even that, even that sounds strange, but you see what I'm saying? Oh yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And that's, uh, that's a problem. Get a little closer to the mic. <clears throat> and that's a problem that, that occurs when all limits are lifted off of, uh, 
off of contributions into these uh, into these groups. But on the other hand, we have these very very restrictive requirements. You can take, for example, uh, the case that we just brought. Um, David Thompson couldn't contribute a hundred dollars to his brother-in-law, mm-hmm. and we're talking about a war veteran. We're talking about a war hero here, a Navy SEAL. What, when did the out-of-state limits get aggregate limits get put in place? Uh, I believe that that was uh, the 2006 uh, ballot initiative. Okay, so before that, there was there was no limits on how much you could take from out well, of state. I, well, I can't speak to that, to be mm-hmm. honest. Uh, I, I do know that the 2006 ballot initiative is the status of the law that that uh, that this case concerned. Now, there are there are in place federal limits, which I checked right now. I think they're indexed for inflation. It's $2,900 per candidate per year. Yeah, and those are those are those are more reasonable types of limits. The point that I was going to uh, draw to is, we had a case under our under our <clears throat> law where Wes Keller couldn't give a hundred dollars to his, uh, couldn't get a hundred dollars from his uh, from his brother in law, and in the last election, for example, um, <clears throat> uh, our current governor's brother donated four hundred thousand dollars to Dunleavy for for governor. And as, and as so and Bob you, Penny you, too donated yeah, three hundred and some thousand. Yeah, Bob Penny put in another three hundred and twenty-five. So we're in a situation where the way the law works is is that we had uh, someone that couldn't give a hundred bucks to his brother-in-law, but we had uh, we had uh, under under Citizens United, we had seven hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars by two people mm-hmm. flow into an independent expenditure group who's whose title was, you know, Dunleavy for governor that essentially drove the campaign. Well, I actually had friends who worked on that campaign and did, you know, social media, video, you know, and especially the signs were probably the biggest thing that came out of that, those colorful signs that were all over. And and what that was really was, some people called it a shadow campaign. I kind of said it was it was the campaign. I mean, that was the one people saw. Yeah, no, I Way more visible than the governor's own campaign. Well, and, 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 the point that you that you asked me to comment on is sort of what difference does it make? You know, like, <clears throat> uh, do we think, uh, for example, that someone that contributes, if someone contributes uh, a half a million dollars into uh, an independent expenditure group for a candidate, that uh, they don't have any influence uh, over the candidate's future politics, uh, uh, but that if they uh, contribute uh, $600 directly to the candidate, that that there's a risk of quid pro quo corruption. Well, I mean, I would, I would argue, um, I would argue, I would just say that I'm not sure what the brother's motivation was. I mean, other than being a brother, I mean, maybe he's got some, I know he was involved in banking. I don't know what he has, if he has any motivation for what happens in Alaska, but, but Bob Penny does, especially when it comes to fishing. And, and, and Matt Larkin, who's a friend of mine who, who ran the Dunleavy group, um, you know, he, he was following the rules. I know he was, but now, now that it's over, he, he's friends with the governor. So, um, after the campaign's over, everything goes away. Then you can talk and be buddy, and it all goes away as soon as the, as soon as the election's over. Well, I'm not being critical of anybody that contributed any amount to any campaign properly, uh, and uh, Bob Penny did, and so did his brother. Yep. The uh, point that I'm drawing to is is that <clears throat> that you have these ridiculous campaign limits where people can't even can't they, they're paying half as much without even adjusting for inflation as we we're able to give a candidate in 1974 in Alaska. And what you've done is taken the megaphone away from the candidates who are accountable to the voters, and you've handed it to no. these groups. Well, and, I that's, mean, I, and that's not right. I've, for a long time, um, I've, I've, I, I think there's two, I feel two things about APOC. 
Um, one, I think it's great people who work there. I think it's needed. Um, they have budgets been cut over the years, but I also feel like the legislature needs to really reform what they do and how, how they, how they perform, um, oversight because I, this is crazy. You're talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars that get donated, right? I bought, this is a crazy story. I bought, so this web, this group I ran in 2018 was called let's back revac. We called it. Okay. So the campaign was over. This is like a year later. And the next election was coming around and I was done. We closed the group. I was done with it. And somebody on Facebook joked, they were going to start a group called let's sack revac. So I said, that's kind of funny. So I went and bought let's sack revac for 10 bucks, $10 I spent from, from, you know, GoDaddy when you buy a domain and I forwarded <laughs> let's sack revac to, to his campaign website. It was a joke. Did it, forgot about it. And, you know, that was it. A year later, APOC reaches out to me and somebody had tattled on, told on me for doing this. They said I made an expenditure, $10 for a joke, clearly a joke. I had to go to them and talk to Tom and say, this is a fucking joke. Come on, man. What do you, I had to like, I had to appeal it. They were going to, my maximum fine at 50 a day was like $8,000 or something crazy. And I said, this is this serious, serious. Like I'm the guy, $10 for a joke website. Eventually they, they waived any fine, but I had to, I literally had to go and on APOC, um, register the $10 expenditure. I mean, this is the lunacy of our oversight laws. Well, I, you know, APOC has a difficult job. They do, and uh, I think it's the legislature's and, role to, and, to fix that. And uh, it needs to be done as efficiently as possible. Uh, I just went through a situation where we had to file every 10 days for months. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, uh, so yeah, there's always improvement. That's that's possible with regard to any of these matters, I think. And with regard to this particular case, I hope that the result of it uh, is is that the limits that are in place in Alaska have been ruled unconstitutional. There are no current limits, and uh, I would expect that the legislature would be to come in. And I would hope that uh, how they would do it would be rationally and fair, and uh, taking into consideration the uh, the context of Citizens United and. Uh, give the uh, candidates and their campaigns more of a voice in framing the political issues for which they're accountable to the voters. If you had the uh, magic wand and you were in charge, what, what, do you, what do you think fair limits would be, or, sh- or should there be limits for contributions to candidates? Well, it isn't just about... Um, well, let me... Okay, this raises two or three issues, of course. Uh, <clears throat> Contributing money to support a candidate or a cause that you that you believe in is a fundamental exercise in free speech in our society that's necessary for sustaining a democracy. Yep. So I am a huge free speech guy uh, because it's necessary. You need the marketplace of ideas to work, and so uh, so. Uh, I, I sort of align with the current law in terms of my own personal views on this, that uh, government shouldn't be restricting free speech except for very narrow purposes, uh, very good purposes, and uh, and should narrowly draw any laws that restrict our ability to participate in the political system very, very narrowly to just serve those purposes. The law today is that there's only one state interest <clears throat> that uh, that a state can be concerned with in limiting a campaign contribution, and that is the risk of quid pro quo corruption or its appearance. That is the only legitimate state interest, period, uh, that 
that you can restrict free speech on. And when you do it, you have to do it so that it's narrowly drawn, so that it only, so that it doesn't unnecessarily burden the exercise of free speech beyond that state purpose. So, so this is kind of goes to the bigger question of money and, and politics. I mean, I think some would argue that um, while while that's a form of speech, the money. Some people have a lot of money, and and many people don't have a, a lot of money, especially to spend on politics. So, are the are the folks with a lot of money and resources? Do they have an unweighted advantage or a weighted advantage in the political process over a regular person who doesn't have a ton of money, but they want to go knock on doors or make phone calls? Um, you see what I'm saying? Is, is oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and I think the answer is, is that uh, people with greater resources have always had the ability to extend their positions uh, further than people that lack resources. And I don't think that that's changed. I want to point out, though, that this case doesn't change money in politics. It just changes who can get the money in politics. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, so uh, uh, there is uh, an unlimited amount of money flowing into politics today as a result of Citizens United. That is the law of our land, whether we like it or don't like it. The fact is, is is that any citizen can spend as much damn money as they want to spend to support a cause or to spend a a candidate. They just have to do it through an independent expenditure group and not coordinate it with the candidate or his campaign. So that's the law. So this, this case and what's happening with this case isn't isn't really about whether money's going to be in politics. The, our U.S. Supreme Court has held <clears throat> that there's going to be money right, in politics. It's just, it's just who gets it. And, and, and the question is, is, is the state going to come down under and, and, and micromanage candidates and their campaigns off minuscule amounts while allowing the megaphones to be turned over to these massive groups? And that's the conversation. Do you think mm. this will... Um, reduce the amount of independent expenditures. I mean, some of, some of the independent expenditures and PACs, po- folks who are involved in politics know that they're, they're they're known to do things the candidates don't want to do or won't do. You know, the nasty attacks or the really some some of the stuff that campaigns don't want to be associated with. So I think those are never going to go away. But 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 now I wonder if they're going to have have less of a, a role where whereby now people can just give the candidate the money directly. Well, I think <clears throat> I mean I would like to see. Um, the person, the candidate responsible to the voters to be the person that, uh, whose voice is heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, that's a, that's a desirable outcome to be able to do that. It's almost like a cop-out. So, You've heard several candidates with independent expenditure groups. They always say, well, hey, I'm, that's not me. I have nothing to do with that. I can't control that. I'm not endorsing that. Uh, you know, it's almost like a very convenient way to say, it's not me doing it. You know. Well, I mean... Just to go back to the statement of the law, quid pro quo corruption or its appearance. Uh, of course, if it goes to a group that they don't have influence in, then it's less likely that quid pro quo means something for something. It's not that I give you $100. It's that I give you $100 and I say, I want that coffee cup and your phone back for it. That's what a quid pro quo yeah. corruption is. So it's it's not just giving. There's no nothing wrong with giving a candidate as much money as you want to give. Yeah. But it's 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 it, we're trying to discourage uh, people buying your politics. Well, I don't think uh, it makes 
a whole bunch of difference if if uh, if I formed a Jeff for governor and put. Uh, a million, oh, are you, a offer, are you offering? I'll, I'll file <laughs> put, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and put and put a million dollars into it. I think I would have just as much influence as if I just came to you and said, Jeff, I'll give you a million dollars for your campaign. I think that uh, now, I th- now I think that we I, have these limits gone, let's let's do this right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm fi- yeah, yeah. Robin, you want to commit? Now's, I'm filing. Now's the time to do it. I'm filing right now, buddy. <laughs> now's the time to be. You can be my running money. mate. You know, we yeah, could we could yeah, we yeah. could the the Brennan Landfield 2022. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> no, uh, uh, you you asked me, and I and I and and uh, and then our conversation went uh, went uh, a little off of it. But sort of what I would like to see, or what I would expect to see going forward, I would expect to see the legislature reengage in this issue. Uh, although careful what you wish for when yeah. you ask the legislature to engage in anything. Well, uh, if you can get them to engage in anything, then uh, then that would be nice. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so I, I I'm more critical for what they don't do than for what they do do. But uh, but there's a few things I think that the law makes clear. One is is that that uh, you can't tell out of state folks that they have a different set of rules than residents. I mean, you're no more likely to to uh, to be a corrupt politician if the money comes from out of state or in state. I mean, if you're going to be a corrupt politician, uh, then uh, then doesn't matter where the money comes from. You're yeah, true. A correct politician. So the idea of there being some sort of total limits or that some sort of discriminatory treatment between out-of-state folks and in-state folks, I don't think is something that will pass constitutional muster, period. That's already been... And that's what this case stands for. And so I wouldn't expect to see it again in the future. Real quick, um, can this case still get... Can the APOC, I guess, can they still appeal this decision to the U.S. Supreme Court? Uh, they could, and they could request uh, a full panel of the Ninth Circuit consider it. But how many is a full panel? Uh, I think they use uh, it's uh, on bonk, and I think that's every sitting judge. Uh, oh, so it's a lot. It's a yeah, way bigger. Yeah. Is that common or the full panel? Well, uh, sometimes people that lose the panel, uh, there's in this case, there's a majority decision, and so you got two to one. And so if people think they can change the, uh, the, the calculation or the math, sometimes they'll go up to the full panel. Do you panel. have to go to the full panel, or can you go right to the Supreme Court? No, you don't have to go to the full panel. You can go right to the Supreme Court. But all I'd say is, is that anybody, anybody that has read the procurium decision from the U.S. Supreme Court to the Ninth Circuit, remanding it back and asking them to revisit this, they didn't just remand it back. They sent six pages of detailed analysis about what they thought. And so you can appeal it to the U.S. Supreme Court or to the panel, but wherever it appeals, if there's any different result, it's going back to the U.S. Supreme Court. So they've kind of signaled. and Well, signaled, uh, shouted from the rafters (laughs) would be be more appropriate than signaled. And and I'm not a lawyer, but is that that – Common for them to kick it back and say, "Hey, this is kind of what we're thinking." So, well, I was uh, I was surprised uh, at how extensive the analysis from the court was when it sent it back to the Ninth Circuit. I don't think it left any doubt as to what the U.S. Supreme Court's opinion is, and I think that if it goes back to the U.S. Supreme Court, that uh, that uh, the status of the case as it is now is uh, almost invariably going to be upheld. 
So, yeah, you can continue to appeal it, but uh, they've already given you their opinion. All, mm-hmm. you, all you do is pick it up and read it. And so not a lot of ho- purpose to do that. And going on bonk with the Ninth Circuit, that's something you can do. You can ask the broader. But if it comes down differently, then we're going back up to the U.S. Yeah, Supreme either Court. Yeah, way it probably goes and then, and then, And then, uh, and, and I don't think that's where they want it to go uh, again because I, I think it'll be less merciful than this decision was. So, so um, you, were, you were saying, though, about the legislature engaging. Yeah, I was just talking about some things that we know, uh, looking into a crystal ball, as to uh, I would expect the legislature to engage in some sort of campaign limits. Uh, you asked uh, ones that I thought would be reasonable. Obviously, if you went to the, the federal campaign limits, they're sustainable and supported, and there's no reason you couldn't apply some sort of model like that. Uh, but things you will not see and cannot see is you can't discriminate against out of, so, uh, out, of, out, of, out of state folks. It's a really bad idea to have a limit, any limit, that isn't indexed with inflation. Mm-hmm. The court has signaled that time after time after time. So I don't know why any legislature would come back and provide an unindexed limit if they were going to provide a limit. And then the idea of annual limits, <clears throat> because annual limits favor incumbents because incumbents collect money every year mm-hmm. but candidates just collect money <clears throat> bless me oh. candidates just collect money in the year that they're going to run for the campaign so what you really have and 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 the, well you can file early you can you can file i think up to 18 months before y- the election you can uh that's true but people don't well, and, well, some and, people do yeah. mm-hmm. most i think a lot of people wait yeah and so an example that the court used that's been used in the court was when uh, French and Bell ran against each other. Bob Bell and Hollis French. Yes. I remember that. It was 2012, I think, wasn't it? And uh, Hollis had 222 contributions in the, in the prior annual cycle, and Bob Bell had none. And that's uh, not untypical for an incumbent versus a challenger to be in that situation where you're way behind. I mean, it almost I've run for office before, and it almost becomes a— a calculation. Even people that are thinking about running next year for you know governor or legislature, um, the 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 thought process is, well, I better file before December. I better file in November so I can double back to those don- to those donations. Where if a hundred people give you five hundred bucks, you know, you can go back to those same hundred people the next calendar year. You can get it, you know, December thirty first, and then go back January first. Um, that's always been a calculation for a lot of people who decide they want to run for office. Yeah, and and the fact is is that on the annual basis. That in off years, the uh, incumbent often uh, fundraises where the candidate hasn't even been identified yet. Mm-hmm. So there is an in, embedded advantage uh, to an incumbent in that situation. So things that I would expect, you know, nothing discriminating against out-of-state folks versus in-state folks because that has nothing to do with quid pro quo corruption. Uh, instead of annual limits, I'd expect to see per campaign limits so that so that you and the incumbent are only entitled to recover so much money for each campaign, so they mm-hmm. can't they can't double up on you because the, of because they got there first. The federal side is didn't. annual, right? I think. I I, I believe it is. Yeah. What about have you ever thought about? I've I've floated this idea before. What about a maximum? What do you think about setting a max? Like the most you can raise is some amount, like two hundred thousand dollars for a state senate race. Well, and you can't uh, raise more than that. Maximum. So I uh, get one person or ten people or a hundred people. Maximum caps are disfavored, and uh, the reason that they're disfavored 
is because and and again you have the Citizens United side that's, that's still out yeah that's right that's still out there, uh, but the uh, the problem with the maximum cap is because you contribute early you get your money in let's say I'm a late first in first I'm I'm, I'm 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 a day late and and I don't have any right at all to contribute to the candidate of my choice mm-hmm. merely because of the timing of our decisions so so it it results in in sort of and that's exactly what happened in the case of Mr. Thompson when he tried to contribute $100 to his brother-in-law is that he was sent the check back because yeah. the $3,000 cap had already been met for out-of-state folks. So that's the problem with putting absolute caps on is, is it, uh, it, it lets some people give the maximum and it lets some people give nothing. Do, do you know, um, are you, have you, have you looked at other, what other states are doing as far as limits go? Is it, is it similar or some more or some? Well, the court, uh, uh, the, the court, uh, like this, uh, just, this just applies to Alaska, right? This doesn't apply to other states. This uh, ruling, this is uh, it only invalidates the uh, Alaska uh, statutes that were at issue. But we're talking about the Ninth Circuit's pronouncement on what the constitutional limits are with regard to campaign contributions. So, if you're in California or Oregon, or and there's limits, and you say, "Wait a minute, I want to give somebody." this much, they can cite this uh, decision? Absolutely. Uh, and there's lots of... You really th- opened the Pandora's box here, well, Robin. <laughs> well, well uh, it's already been open, and uh, we just got around to applying it to Alaska. So uh, it, it got opened in Citizens United. It got opened in, in uh, Randall. And the way that these cases, the campaign contribution cases to a candidate are decided are based on five factors by the Randall court. And they go through and they analyze each factor and and how that state law applies to it. So this is just uh, this is just adding uh, some uh, some fire to the bonfire uh, with regard to uh, how the Randall factors should be applied mm-hmm. in analyzing any state's campaign contribution limits. So on the on the on the um, bigger topic of, of money in politics, I mean, I for one, I think you might have said this and the ADN or somewhere I read that, you know, you, you think it's fair to have a conversation about money in politics, but for now the conversation is there's unlimited money in, in a lot in politics. I personally think there, there should be some kind of congressional action, which I'm not sure if that's a oxymoron, but um, li- limiting this, this amount of unlimited money from, from companies and from individuals in politics, because I think it just has gone so out, out of control. Um, that I think it really disfavors regular people. But do you, do you, would you agree that there should be some kind of, I guess, amendment or overhaul? Because to overturn Citizens United would require, a, I guess, a constitutional amendment or some other action by Congress. Is that right? Um, I'm very sympathetic uh, to the position that you advanced, that people with resources uh, have a larger megaphone in the conversation than people without resources. Um it's easy. It's easier to identify that as an issue than it is to figure out how to constitutionally solve it. And mm-hmm. uh, and and given that the only uh, uh, the only restriction is that's po- that's constitutionally possible is to avoid quid pro quo corruption or its appearance, then we have this Randall analysis of the factors that they take a look at. And uh, and any anything's going to be applied to it. 
And you're right. It's, it's the law of our land, uh, given the constitutional interpretation of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And so that's not something that can be easily uh, changed. I'm also very, very sensitive to the idea of opening up, opening up the idea uh, of a constitutional convention or a constitutional amendment to solve a problem, because you never know when you open the door what's going to walk through it. Well, I've been saying for a few months now that I think on the state level, every 10 years we have that on the ballot, a constitutional convention, and I really believe that that's going to be the big issue on the next election. The governor's, if he, if he does run, he hasn't filed yet, but I think that will be his big issue or campaign issue is let's have a constitutional convention to you know, fix the spending limit and the dividend issue and all these issues, um, which I think opening, I call it opening the, you know, opening the, opening the files or opening the books on that kind of thing would be really, really um, potentially pretty crazy. Well, I mean, we're in the middle of this conversation about people that have resources, have undue influence. That's the conversation we're in. Uh, that would certainly be true if you had a constitutional oh, yes. convention. Oh, yes. I mean, 100%. And, and, uh, and I don't want to sidetrack our conversations into some of the changes that are being proposed to our Constitution. But some of them uh, are very difficult for me to accept as Alaskan. You know, for example, one constitutional amendment that's being proposed is the idea and the way that they're selling it is to say that that the citizens get to vote on any tax increase. I know, I saw that. But, I, I think that but, totally usurps the legislature's ability to do well, their job. Well, and what 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 they aren't saying is is that it also means that the legislature has to approve any tax increase that the citizens pass, which meant that that uh, ballot measure one that I was involved in then could die at the legislative level because they could kill any mm-hmm. ballot initiative by the people. So I think when you start tinkering with this and selling things certain ways and you start massively changing the ability of people to participate in direct democracy, I think uh, we as Alaskans become less. And I think that that's unfortunate. So I'm very, very leery of the idea of a constitutional convention and I'm even more leery of a constitutional convention for the purposes that have been articulated yeah. by this uh, governor. T- totally unrelated to the money in politics, but just curious as a lawyer, um, do you like the Judicial Council? I know a lot of folks have been trying to talk about getting rid of that. Well, the Judicial Council is an interesting situation. You know, it's like, you know, it's kind of like democracy. It's uh, it's absolutely terrible, but it's just the best system that's hmm. ever existed. That's what uh, Churchill said, yeah. I think. Right? Yeah, yeah. So that's the way I look at the Judicial Council. I think that the Judicial Council overall has added a degree of professionalism to our judiciary that we should appreciate and support. Uh, I think that uh, uh, that we've gotten uh, very good, uh, very good judges out of it. You know, you have other states where judges run for election. Yeah, they're ele- yeah most states and, are elected. And, uh, you know, if, I, I think that if, you know, they do a survey of the bar, uh, you know, and take a look at people, they evaluate people, they have interviews with people and people that know people, uh, they do the due diligence for us. So I think they have a very important role to play, and I think they've done a, a good job, and I think the Alaskan judiciary has maintained its independence from many of the politics of this of the day, and I think they should be commended for that. So, uh, you know, careful what you wish for, and and it's one of these things: are you throwing the baby out with the bathwater with the judicial council? I think uh, I think they, on a net basis, that they do a lot of good. Mm-hmm. It's funny, you know. I just you said baby out with the bathwater. I just read this this uh, kind of 
article about where a lot of sayings come from. No. Okay. And apparently that comes from back in the medieval times, people wouldn't bathe very often, you know, once every few months or maybe once a year. And, and they put a big hot, you know, bath of water and the, the, man, the head of the house, the man would go first and then the, the boys and the women, you know, and the baby was last. By that point, the water was so dirty, <laughs> they would say, don't throw the baby out with the bath water. Apparently that's where that came from, which is pretty horrible, but also well, I, I, entertaining. Well, I, I come here to learn. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, I, I, this kind of involves the const- federal constitution, but I read this book recently um, by a guy, Ben Sheehan. You'll feel like this. It's called uh, OMG WTF, Does the Constitution Actually Say? And uh, it's kind of a, a, a easy way to understand what the Constitution says. And he goes through every, the original, you know, Bill of Rights and every amendment. And the 27th Amendment on um, the Congress being able to, they can't raise their pay in the same year. That came from, you know where that came from? No, I do not. There was this guy at the University of Texas. He was 19. He was asked to write uh, uh, an article, an essay about the Constitution, and he figured out that this Twenty Seventh Amendment hadn't been ratified. And you know, Hamilton and these guys—they all had these different amendments, and some were ratified and some weren't. A few states had, had approved this back in like this, like seventeen, you know, like the seventeen hundreds, but it, d- it didn't have enough states. But there was no time limit. So he wrote this essay, and he said, um, "Well, this could be approved if enough states approved it." And he got a C, and he was like really mad about the C. Um, and he tried to challenge it, and they wouldn't change it. So he started calling all these state legislatures. This is a crazy story. And I think it was Colorado was the first one that bit, and they and they voted for it. Anyways, 10 years later, the thing passed. <laughs> it passed because of this guy. And then he went back to the school, and he, he challenged the grade again. He got an A. Isn't that crazy? Oh, good. Well. A know, crazy story. I was one like, way to upgrade your grades. I guess anybody can, <laughs> anybody can make a difference, right? Yeah, you could. Yeah, absolutely. That's well, true. I, I appreciate you coming in. I mean, this is a great, really important conversation, and I think it's going to have a, a big, it will have a big impact on this next election. We've already had uh, a handful of folks file for re-election, mostly incumbents, a few challengers. I've noticed that so far, less people have filed um, for election next year, and some of that's probably because of redistricting. I think a lot of folks don't know where they're going to, what district they're going to be in until the new maps come out. So well, with regard, to, with regard to the impact of... Uh, of this case on uh, future elections, I, I just would uh, counsel people uh, take a measured approach towards this. I think that uh, our campaign limits for candidates uh, are are out of date. Uh, they're mm-hmm. very very restrictive, uh, and there's a lot of problems with them that the court just uh, helped solve for us. So, in responding to it. Uh, I hope that we take a measured, considered approach and that we apply the law correctly uh, because, uh, because that's important. I think it's important to stay focused on what's, on what's important in, in passing this. And like I've said, what that means is that the legislature, it can go up there and, and, and talk about 10 different purposes. You know, I want to get money out of politics, okay, for example. That is not a legitimate purpose, <laughs> For, for passing <laughs> campaign restrictions. It's only to avoid quid pro quo corruption or its appearance. And I think we've just, we've let the, we've let the, uh, we've let the horses out of the barn in Citizens United, and that's the status yeah. of the law here. And so I think we need to be more realistic about the way we approach this Have issue. Have you had any candidates honest. call you yet and ask you for a big, big donations? <laughs> Robin, hey, I saw yeah, your decision. Yeah, I yeah, need 10000 yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Not, not yet. I, but, I had a uh, lobbyist. I won't say who, but I had a lobbyist after this decision. I was talking to him. They said, fucking Robin Brennan. Now, now his lobbyist or 
limited to who they can donate to the, the, the district they live in. Right. Which that could get challenged at some point, maybe too. But they said, "Fucking Rob Brennan, none these people are gonna, none of my legislators are gonna ask me for ten thousand dollars." Because a lot of the wealthy people, I think, love the five hundred, because it's like, here you go, that's all I can give you. Yeah. You know? So I think a lot of people that have the big deep pockets are gonna be getting hit up for more money now from the. Well, and, uh, you know, Jeff, I think they were anyway, and the independent expenditure groups were working these guys yeah. over. I think the people who really, yeah, the people who really wanted know, to spend so, it, we're so, going to find a way to spend and it. And if, if you take a look at who's going to contribute how much in the next election, and you compare it to the last election, it's going to be the same cast of characters contributing the same amount. The question is, is whether or not it's going to be uh, a higher percentage of it will be given to the candidate and the campaign, mm-hmm. who, from my point of view, a uh, little bit different flavor between the two, uh, admittedly, but only one of those two is accountable to the voters. Well, I, I think the other um, interesting thing about as far as accountability, if if you're a candidate and somebody gives you ten thousand or fifty thousand dollars, I mean, the public will know that. It's, it's, I've always argued it's people disclosed. don't pay as much of attention as they should, but that's a disclosed thing. So, so there's been people who have who have withheld or. Uh, denied or refused contributions for 500. They said, I don't want to, I don't want money from you. That's happened before. Sure. So, you know, you, the candidate ultimately has the right to say, I don't want $50,000 from you. That's not, doesn't look good. I don't want to be, I don't want to be viewed that way. You know, give me a thousand dollars or $5,000. That's well, the bottom line on this case that we just won. Uh, and by the way, when I say we, it takes a village. I want to be sure to acknowledge that, uh, Kirkland and Ellis, uh, Paul Clement and, uh, uh, Erin Murphy. Erwin uh, is the one that argued it to the Ninth Circuit, and she did an excellent job. And Laura Gould with our office. Uh, that's the sort of the cast of characters, the, the village that's been working on this case. But the bottom line with regard to this case is <clears throat> that our election law was unduly restrictive to candidates and campaigns uh, in the context, uh, in the in the environment of Citizens United, and it had fundamental and unconstitutional things wrong with it, and that those things have been uh, cleared aside. We have an opportunity to revisit these issues with a with a clear eyes, a f- fresh eyes look, and uh, we can do better. And so I hope that uh, Alaskans do better if uh, if the legislature is going to engage in this issue. I hope that it does better. But the bottom line here is it's the same people that contributed before are going to contribute yeah. again, and all we're really talking about is how they're going to do yeah. it. Well, I appreciate you coming in. I mean, I, I think my pleasure. I've, I've, I've myself used the, judi- the judicial system for my own issues, and it's a, it's a good thing to have um, to be able to go and um, resolve problems and get, get, get you know, finality on, on these big issues. So I think uh, this issue's not over, and I'm probably going to be hearing a lot about this in the legislature in the next Maybe the special session, if not, definitely next year in the next regular session. So I suspect we will. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Robin. Guest. Yeah, I appreciate you coming in. And um, we'll do another one of these. You're always fun to talk to, so appreciate <laughs> okay. it. Thank uh, you. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one.